Philippians, here you go, Hannah. To Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 for the message this morning. Philippians chapter 4. A few weeks ago, I preached from Philippians chapter 3 on rejoicing in the Lord. That's when Paul said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Well, he finally today gets around to the end of his letter, actually, and says again, finally, brethren. We're going to look at this this morning, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 8. If you would like to stand for the reading of the word, you can as we read our text this morning. Philippians 4 and verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word We thank you for the way it cuts deep. We thank you that it is a medicine to us, that it is a balm, that, Lord, it is, um, Lord, it can take us and it can change our hearts and our minds and our lives. Lord, I pray that your word would be that to us this morning. Pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin in our life, areas where there needs to be change. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, that they would understand the gospel, and receive you today. Lord, again, I thank you for your word. Pray that you'd hide me behind the cross, and Lord, that Christ would be uplifted. In his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So this morning, we're going to look at two thoughts here. Two thoughts he gives as he comes to his final instructions to the church at Philippi. As he comes to his final instructions, he says, finally, brethren, and we often hear messages um, about the first of about verse eight here. Point number one, we often hear messages or have often heard um, from time to time in my life, I've heard messages on verse eight, but I've never heard a message on verse nine that I can recall. And yet verse eight and nine go together. Because verse 8 is the things they're supposed to be thinking, and verse 9 is the things they're supposed to be doing. It's like a coin. Every coin has two sides, right? If not, you've got a valuable coin, and I would take it and cash it in somewhere. But every coin has two sides, even if the other side is blank, okay? There are two sides to a coin. And I think we find here that there are two sides. There is the thinking, there is the doing, and there are some um, significant things that we can compare and contrast with these two, which we'll do later in the message. But as we begin this morning, we see here, um, the I've just listed the eight things on the think side. Think about true things, honest things, just things, pure things, lovely things, things of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. Then he gave the things that they were to be doing, what they've learned, what they've received, what they've heard, and what they've seen. So we're going to look at these this morning and break down 
a little bit some of these things that the Philippian believers were told to think about and do, and then see how it could apply to our lives. First of all, let's consider this fact he's told them to think in the first place. He says, think. This is something every one of us should be doing today. We live in a society that um, doesn't like free thinkers. I mean, what happened during COVID? You go to a store without a mask on. You were a weirdo. You were a free thinker. You were a rebel. And in some places, you'd get screamed and hollered at. Um, Why? Because you were doing something different than everybody else. Um, Society today does not like free thinkers. If you think a little different than the way society is programmed, you are considered a bad person. Oh, but they tell us you need to think. You need to think. You just need to think the way they want you to think. Um, And there is some truth even biblically here. There's a certain way that Paul is telling Christians that Christians should think. So it shouldn't surprise us, and so often it does. It shouldn't surprise us when the world doesn't think this way. You ever get frustrated with the media? You ever get frustrated with politicians? They just don't get it. Well, they're not supposed to. They don't know Jesus Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. And if a person does not know Christ, if a person does not know the word of God, they don't have a proper way of thinking. If you learn to think biblically, you learn to think logically. I mean, it's easy. You see one, two, three. Um, You see things like two plus two equal four. I mean, that's just basic, natural um, law that God has put in the universe. So if you think biblically, you're going to come to conclusions like two plus two equal four. But he calls for them to be thinkers. There's a few funny definitions to this. Um, the, the Greek word translated here, um, think, strong uh, defines it as to take an inventory. We all know how to do that. You know, if you're going to take inventory of your possessions, um, my grandmother did that. On numerous occasions throughout my life, my grandma Bissell, uh, my mom's mom, she would take inventory of her possessions and she would write down who was going to get what when she was gone. And the longer it was that she wasn't gone, she started um, reassigning some of those things. In fact, I have here in my Bible um, her list of things I was to get. One of them we still haven't figured out exactly um, what it is or why I was supposed to get it, but Um, First thing on the list, the glass tree. She had this little glass tree. I I like trees. And anyway, um, there is the list that my grandmother made as um, for me. But she had one for everybody in the family. And it gave the instructions on what they were to get of her stuff. She knew how to take inventory. Thayer's described it as to consider, to take account, to weigh But I think the best definition of this word is to meditate. What you're thinking on, it's what you're meditating on. It's what's going over and over in your mind. Does anybody ever do this? You have this problem, something happens, and things get quiet, and you start thinking about that event. And you start replaying it over and over and over in your mind. Well, they said this. Well, I said this. Did they mean this? 
did they mean this? Then you fall asleep in your recliner. A little while later, you wake up. Maybe they meant this. Why? You're still thinking about it. You're still, that is the idea of meditating on it. You're going over and over and over it in your mind. And all of us do this. But Paul is giving some instruction to the Philippians that the believers at Philippi, that they needed to make a habit of meditating on eight specific things. Let's look at these. Number one, the first thing they were to think on was true things. Whatsoever things are true. He's talking about truth here, absolute truth. Where are we going to find absolute truth? We find it in the word of God. What did Jesus say? Thy word is truth. If we want absolute truth, we're going to have to start going to the word of God. As Christians, we need to be thinkers, thinking not upon our emotions, not on how something makes us feel, but we need to be thinking on absolute truth. One pastor said it this way. He said, Paul's call for biblical thinking is especially relevant in our culture today. Um, And he wrote this over 20 years ago now, I believe it was. The focus today is on emotion and pragmatism and the importance of serious thinking about biblical truth is downplayed. People no longer ask, is it true, but does it work? And how will it make me feel? Those latter two questions serve as a working definition of truth in our society that rejects the concept of absolute divine truth. Truth is whatever works and produces positive emotions. Sadly, such pragmatism and emotionalism has crept even into theology. The church is often more concerned about whether something will be divisive or offensive rather than whether it is biblically true. Such a perspective is far different from the noble Bereans who searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true, not whether it was divisive or practical. Too many people go to church not to think or reason about the truth of scriptures, but to get their weekly spiritual high, to feel that God is still with them. Such people are spiritually unstable because they base their lives on feeling rather than on thinking. And that's why Paul says, first of all, the first thing we should be thinking on, the first thing we should be meditating on is truth. Is it true? If there's something stuck in your head and you just keep thinking about it, an event that you keep thinking about or, or a concept you keep thinking about, one, the first thing you need to ask is, is this true? People can get so upset about things that aren't even true. Someone asked me a few weeks ago about something, um, an event in my life, and they asked me, um, their question was basically accusing me of something that I thought was actually pretty bizarre. It was actually kind of hysterical. Um, I, was suppo- I had supposedly worked with another person to create an event and to make something happen. Anyway, I, I hadn't talked to that person in months and months. And it was just really hysterical when I found out I had been scheming with another person about an event. I didn't know what the person was talking about. It was quite comical to me that I had taken part in something. What was this person doing? They had been thinking about this. They had heard something, and then they started thinking further and deeper, and they came up with all these grand ideas um, that had no base in reality. 
So a good question for yourself when you're thinking about something is, is this even reality? You ever had it where you think someone's mad at you and they're not? Or um, someone else comes to you, why are you mad at me? And you think that's the weirdest question. I mean, my wife every once in a while will ask me, why are, are you upset at me? No, I'm not upset at you. Yesterday, Laura comes in the room and she's like, honey, are you upset? No, I'm not upset at you. Are you mad at me? No, I'm not mad at you. I'm just like, I'm not thinking to myself, just leave me alone. Well, I was deep into thought. I was deep into study. I had a lot going on and I was kind of pacing in the bedroom. And anyway, she's like, okay, I just wanted to make sure. And she walks out anyway. Last night we laid down in bed and I said, oh, by the way, today when you asked me if I was upset, I wasn't upset at all. I was just, I had had this caffeine and I think that's what she's like, honey, you were deep in thought. But what she could have done is gone around the rest of the evening being upset that I was so short with her, upset that I was so deep in thought. Instead, she took it for what it was. I had my Bible out. I had a stack of commentaries all laid out. I've got my laptop out. I'm in there studying. I'm preparing for the message. She looked at what was reality and said, he's not mad at me. He doesn't have any space in his brain to carry on this conversation right now. So she accepted reality rather than walking out of the, ha- out of the room and being mad for the rest of the evening um, and basing her frustration on something that wasn't even true. She chose to focus on truth. Now, that's just a very practical area, but in our lives, we need to start asking that question with practical things. Is this true? What I'm thinking about, what I'm meditating on. Okay, it's not true. Well, let's focus on something that is true and get into the Word of God to begin meditating on that which is true. Number one, he says, meditate, think on true things. Number two, honest things. Whatsoever things are honest, honest things. These are things that were to be held in high regard, held with great respect, things that are honorable, And it was used in the Greek of things that are honorable in a person's character or honorable in their deeds. Wycliffe Bible Commentary defined this as worthy of reverence. The word means noble, worthy of respect. It is something that is sacred. Think on sacred things instead of profane things. Honest things. Are these really honorable things? Could we take my thoughts, this that I'm focusing on, this that I'm meditating on, could we put it on the PowerPoint for Sunday morning? Is it honorable? Let me ask you, are you meditating on honorable things? Number three, whatsoever things are just. This one's really simple. It's that which is lawful whether it be according to man's law, according to God's law, is it lawful? Is it right? Am I meditating on something that's contrary to the law of God? Am I thinking on things, meditating on things, spending my time thinking about things that go against the very law of God itself? Well, if I keep thinking on those things that are against the law of God, how is it going to affect my actions? Jesus said, let's look over there real quick. 
Um, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Why are our thoughts so important? Because they're going to produce actions. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse number, um, well, let's start at 20. Yeah, 20. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, where? From within, from the heart, from the mind, out of the heart of men proceedeth, proceedeth, what's the first thing? Evil thoughts. Why do we have trouble with our mind? Because we have trouble with our hearts. And in our minds, we process those things that are coming out of our heart. Out of our heart proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. The book of Proverbs says, a man, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts produce actions. And if you and I are meditating on things that are against the law of God, we are going to have problems with our actions. So Paul is telling the church at Philippi, I want you to think about things that are true, number one. Number two, things that are honest, things that are honorable. Number three, things that are just, things that are lawful, things that line up with the word of God. Number four, he says, whatsoever things are pure. Think on pure things. Strong simply defines this as clean Think on clean things. Another says pure from every fault, immaculate. MacArthur defines this as undefiled. The word is used elsewhere in the New Testament, translated chaste, when speaking of a virgin, a chaste virgin, one that is pure, one that has kept herself from being defiled. Think on pure things. That's really self-explanatory there. Our thoughts need to be pure. They need to be on things that are holy, things that are clean in the eyes of God. Number five, he says, whatsoever things are lovely. This word is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's right here. Lovely things. This is things that are considered acceptable, things that produce love, things that are kind, gracious. He said, think on these things, lovely things. Number six, he says, think on things of good report. If they be of good report. Again, this, is, this word is only used here in the New Testament. It means things that are spoken in a kindly spirit. One pastor defined it this way, that which is highly regarded or thought well of. Things generally considered reputable in the world, such as kindness, courtesy, respect for others. So be respectful in your thought life. Be respectful. Number seven, if there be any virtue, virtuous thoughts, 
any virtue. This is a word that was used in the Greek generally to describe any kind of excellence in a person. Somebody did something really great. You go, that was excellent. You would use this word. But biblically, it's used specifically for moral excellence, such as purity, modesty. The word also means manly and noble. Think on virtuous things, things of good character. Number eight, he says, if there be any praise, this word uh, means commendable, applaudable, something you could brag on that someone else has done. And it's kind of like the, it's kind of the final word that just sums it all up. Anything else that's praiseworthy, that doesn't fit under these categories, if it's worthy of praise, think on that. So this list of eight here, everything we think we can process through these eight, what is true, what is honest, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good report, what is virtuous, what is praiseworthy, these eight things. He says, think, make a habit of thinking on these things. But all of this could be bottled up and put into one simple thought process. Think on Christ. Because is he not the one that, is go- that lived out all of these? You want truth? He says, I am the way, the truth. He is the truth himself. He is pure. He is the holy one. He is the one worthy of our praise. He is the only one of true excellence that has true character. We need to be more like him. He is the one who is just that has kept the whole law. So if we meditate on Christ, we're going to be, um, we're going to be obeying Paul's command to the Philippians. You know, there was the saying for a while that was so popular, there were bracelets and bumper stickers, and what would Jesus do? You'd even see it in gas stations. I started questioning the whole truth basis of the thing when in gas stations they were selling the bracelets. And I'm seeing all these people wear the bracelet. They don't even go to church, but they're wearing what would Jesus do? It is so cool. Well, let's start out with who is Jesus? Let's get that down, and then we can... So yeah, it was a great witnessing tool um, for people who were even wearing the paraphernalia and had the paraphernalia on their cars, Um, but I'll still hear people reference to it. Well, what would Jesus do? And it's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's sad. It's pathetic, because it's often in the context of actually just emotionalism. What would Jesus do here? And the person who is giving the thought process of what Jesus would do is often not basing what Jesus would do on any truth from the word of God. So where do we, when we start thinking on Christ, where have we got to take that? How do we know Christ? How do we know who he is? Well, we have to meditate on his word because it is the word that reveals Christ to us. When we get on our knees and we start praying and God starts giving us messages, We need to start taking them, filtering them through the word of God. You say, God told me this. Okay, did God really tell you this? Let's ask, let's put it through these eight. 
This thing that God told you, number one, is it true? And so many things that people claim when they were praying that God told them so often fall apart at that first question, is it true? Because in our own feelings, led by our own emotions, led by our own corrupt minds, we can come out with all kinds of ideas, base doctrine, base our beliefs, base our our practice in our daily lives on these messages that we get, these thoughts that pop into our heads. And if we think that the process, that the thought is from Christ, we don't have to be afraid of taking it through the filter of truth. Because if it is really God talking to us, nothing he tells us is going to be contrary to his word. So we ask, is it true? And this is how we know Christ. So how are we going to do this? J. Vernon McGee calls this verse the contemplation of Christ. Paul is explaining to them how to think on Christ. You think on these things. He epitomizes each of these eight. But then he goes further. He starts talking about things that they should be doing. Number one, he tells them, let's look at verse nine, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Now, you could really put these into two categories, I think. The first two being we could call classroom instruction. The second to life instruction. The first word here is associated with discipleship, with the teaching that Paul had done with them when he was present in Philippi. And last Sunday afternoon, when we looked at Paul's second missionary journey, we looked at the time that Paul went there and began to witness there in Philippi. Of course, his first convert was a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple. Lydia and her whole household became believers, were baptized. Then there was the Philippian jailer. He and his whole household became believers. So Paul begins teaching them. He began to disciple them. And for a period of time, Paul and his Um, other ministers that were with him spent time teaching the word of God to those people, teaching them how to live a Christian life. And so he tells them, number one, that which you have learned, that's what you need to do. It never ceases to amaze me that some people will say, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to live the Christian life. Well, have you ever been taught the Bible? Yes. Well, then just start doing what you were taught. That's the place to start. Well, I need something deeper. I can't help you. You've been taught. Um, I had a lady call me one time, said, I want you to come and do training at our church and then take our youth out evangelizing. And I said, well, you know, they've got this camp that's available in a couple weeks. Your teens could go to. Oh, yeah, we're not going to go to that. Okay, well, so the first summer I went out and spent some time training their teens and taking them out the next week. We went into some really seriously dangerous places in New Orleans. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, Saw a lot of kids get saved. The next year, the lady calls and says, we need help again. I need you to come train again. And then I need you to go out and do the evangelism for us. It was the same teenagers. The church hadn't grown at all. They had exactly the same people. And so I asked, I said, well, what have y'all been doing? Oh, well, we need you to come. No, no, no. 
answer my question. I want you to come over to our house. So they had me over to their house and they served a fancy dinner for us. And then when we get through eating, they had me all fattened up. They got me weak, right? And I, but I saw it coming. I knew what was coming. And they said, would you come in a few weeks and do training with our teens and then go out and do ministry? And I said, I gave you training last year and you've done nothing with it. You commit to faithful men who will teach others also. And when you start being faithful, I will come back and help you again. It was so quiet in that room. First of all, the quiet was because I was shocked I had just said that. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm not sure we were ever invited back to their house again. Um, And they never did anything with it. In fact, some of those young people did, and they have gone on to serve God today. They were faithful teens. The adults weren't faithful, but the teens were faithful. He said, you have been taught, go out and do. Don't wait around for somebody else to do it for you. He told them, what you have learned, I have discipled you, I have taught you, go out and do what you've been taught. Do what you've learned. Number two, do what you've received. You've received some things from me. The first thing that this Greek word is associated with um, is salvation. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The first use of this, the, the primary use of this word rather in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul and the writings of John and others is the focus on receiving salvation, receiving Christ. And he's obviously talking to believers here. They are ones who had received salvation. They had received the gospel. In fact, let's look over at a couple verses. Galatians 1. A couple verses that will help us better understand this term. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me was not of men. I did not get the gospel from somebody else. He said, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about revelation here, revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, what was the gospel that he preached to them? What did the Philippian jailer ask him? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And we have that message recorded in Acts um, 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he told this man and thy house, if you get saved, your whole family is going to follow you. They're all going to become believers. But what was the truth? What was the gospel? What was he telling them? Believe on who? Christ. Put your faith in Christ. They had received the gospel, but he said, I got this from divine revelation. God told me this himself. This is the way to be saved. Why do you think Paul was so upset when those um, of the Pharisee sect that had gotten saved were traveling around telling all the Gentile believers that they needed to be circumcised and they needed to start obeying the law if they were going to be saved? This upset Paul. He had received from divine revelation the way of salvation. You want to know what does Paul describe as what he was given? Go read the book of Romans. You want to know how to be saved? Why is the Romans road so powerful? It's what? Paul received from God himself. 
This is the way of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sinners, but we can put our faith in him. And then if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we get a little broader detail here. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. What is it? The word of God. He said, you received what we said as the word of God. He said, because that's what it was. Today, when a minister comes to town and he comes to preach at our church, he's supposed to open up the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord, and teach us the Bible. They did not have the completed scriptures yet. Paul is still getting the scriptures at this point. I mean, he's writing part of it to them right now. So when Paul came and preached, when the apostles came to town and preached, the people received it as the word of God. Now, what did they do in Berea? They were checking out this New Testament, what we refer to it now, teaching. By doing what? They'd go to the Old Testament daily and search the scriptures, making sure it lined up with what they had of the word of God. But Paul's telling the Philippian believers, you received my words. And here he's speaking to the um, Thessalonian believers specifically in uh, chapter one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He said, you received what I taught you as the word of God itself. So he is telling them here what you've received. That's what I want you to do. What had they received? They had received the word of God. He said, go out and obey the word of God. So what were they to be doing? Number one, they would be doing what they had been taught. Number two, they were be to be doing what they had received, and that was the word of God. Go out, walk in obedience to the word of God. And then number three here is what I, I, I said would, you could classify as a life lesson. He said, go and do the things you've heard the things you've heard, and then the things you've seen. This word heard here literally means to hear. I mean, it can have deeper meaning as far as perceiving something, as far as understanding something. But I think we can take this at its simple face value because of what he says next. He says, seen. He said, you heard me. You've heard it. What had, how did John describe Jesus? John chapter one, he also did it in first John. He said, what we handled of the word of life. We saw him with our eyes. We heard him with our ears. We touched him with our hands. We can tell you about Jesus because we were there. And Paul is saying, go out and walk in obedience. You heard me teach. You've heard what I've said. Others say he's insinuating here. You've heard by reputation from others, things I've done other places. And that could be true. But Paul had a reputation, a wide reputation. And so whatever it is, he's saying, go out and do what you've heard me say. But he's not talking like parents who say, do what I say, not what I do. Because next he says, and do what you've seen in me. You have observed my life. Go out and do what I do. You say, oh, I, I, I don't know if Paul would really say that. Well, if you question whether or not he'd say that, look at chapter 3 and verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of who? Of me. Paul had lived his life in such a way he could actually say, follow me. 
he's already showing that he's following Christ. And so now he says, follow me. As Christians, we should live our lives in such a way that our lives give out a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's even more important that as ministers of God's word, that ministers be a reflection of the teaching of the word of God. That what we say in the pulpit on Sunday, what we say in in a Bible study, what we say we live out. That is not always easy to do. I mean, just this week, I have had multiple times, well, in the last couple of weeks, I've had multiple times where I wake up in the morning and the first thing that bombards my mind is discouragement and doubt and just a terrible darkness. I used to get up and just struggle with it all day. Well, a couple weeks ago, fifth Sunday singing, whenever that was, that was further away than it seems. But anyway, fifth Sunday singing, I preached that short devotional um, on rejoice in the Lord. Y'all remember that one? Um, Well, this last couple of weeks, I've had to live it out. At times where I woke up not feeling like rejoicing. And so I've had to make the decision, okay, am I going to practice what I preached? Am I going to practice what I preached? And first thing, before I would even get out of bed, begin meditating, thinking on things that are true. What has God said? What did his word say? What has he told me? Someone said, and I heard it quoted recent last Sunday, actually, I heard someone quote it, don't doubt in the um, darkness what God showed you in the light. Okay, it's dark now, but I know what God said. I'm going to trust him. And so going back to the word of God, filtering our own minds through truth, through what is lovely, through what is praiseworthy, And it's only then when we're living out what we're saying that we can actually really tell somebody, listen to what I said. It's not until our lives reflect the message as well that we're truly credible. And so he says, think on these things, but I want you to do this. Do what you've learned. Do what you've received, the word of God. Do what you've heard. Do what you've seen. Now, let's look at, uh, well, there's point number four. I'm just putting that up. Now, let's look at these again. Notice something here. I spaced it a little bit different to make it more obvious. There are eight things on thinking. There's just four on doing. Why would that be? Because what we think produces action. You and I have to do a lot more thinking than um, we do acting on things. We better think through stuff before we act on it. Uh, I read what I think it was some Greek philosopher said, we have two ears and one mouth because we need to listen twice as much as we speak. Okay, that was some truth in that philosopher. And I think that's what he, Paul is illustrating right here. Think more than you do process. Why? Because what we think is going to produce action. We've read it already. Proverbs um, 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The more you you and I meditate on things, whether they be good things or bad things in our lives are going to produce action. 
They are going to produce godly actions or they are going to produce dishonorable, ungodly actions. So number one, we need to be biblical thinkers. The second truth I find here is that we need to be vigilant workers. Vigilant workers. Vigilant doers. We could say a lot about abiding. And I've even heard people preach, we, we don't need to be doers as Christians. We just need to be beers. Well, that whole philosophy is based on one passage of Scripture. What about all the others that say be doers of the word and not hearers only? James 1.22, deceiving your own self. Don't just be hearers. Don't just be beers. Be doers. Paul is telling them, don't sit on the stool. Uh, how does my dad say it? Don't sit on the stool of do nothing, whittling on the stick of do less. That's hard to say. In other words, get up and do something. That has been one of my dad's life messages is be people of action. Be doers of the word. James went on in verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And this is what Paul is telling them. I want you to have the blessing of God. So be thinkers and be doers. Be thinkers and be doers. And what is the result going to be? Look down at the last part of verse number nine, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let me read that again. And the God of peace shall be with you. Some people say you'll have the peace of God. That's not what it says. There is the peace of, there is having peace with God. That's when we get saved. We have peace with God. There is the peace of God. When God gives us his peace in our hearts, and that's one thing the Holy Spirit does, when the Holy Spirit um, comes to abide in the believer, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit that he's going to start producing in our heart is love, joy. The third fruit is peace. But that's not what he says is going to happen right here. Because he's talking to believers. They've already got the Holy Spirit abiding in them. The Holy Spirit's already working in them. But he says, the God of peace will be with you. You say, well, I thought God was with me. Yes, but there are so many attributes to God. You notice some people get fixated on one or two of his attributes. God is a just God. And that's all they ever think about is that God is a just God. And so therefore they go around with a big hammer and they just beat on everybody. God is just. No, you're not doing that right. God is just. You got to do it this way. God is just. You know, and they go out and they witness to people and the people just want to run from them. They don't even want to know Jesus. They don't want to know this God that's so just because they haven't told them anything else about God. Or we say God is sovereign, therefore everything else, the whole scripture has to be, um, has to be explained, has to be understood by the fact that God is sovereign. So therefore, some verses don't mean what they say because God is sovereign and that verse doesn't mean that. And so therefore, that doesn't mean, and it gets real complicated and it gets real confusing. Why? Because there's a fixation on one of the characteristics of God. But he tells us there is one specific attribute, one of his characteristics that is going to be present in our lives. And that is peace. The God of peace is going to be with us. So when we are biblical thinkers and vigilant doers, we experience the presence of, of the God of peace in a powerful 
way, a powerful way. There is so much being said today about daily meditation. If you go to a workout website and you're reading about fitness and they tell you to meditate for so many minutes every day, here's a clue. They're not telling you to meditate on scripture for so many minutes a day. You know, the little sit there with your, whatever that is. Um, Meditate, just sit there, let your mind become a blank. I'm like, that's not meditate. That's not biblical meditation. We don't go blank. We put something in that's going to filter everything out. One Bible commentary refers to this as Paul's teaching on mental health. You know, we'd all have better mental health if we thought on these things. We just simply, the moment a thought comes to our mind, we go, is that true? My wife uses the illustration when she's teaching kids, she gets the mailbox. When you get mail, you get a letter in. You open it up, you read it, and she'll read a a statement to kids and go, okay, is that statement a lie or is it true? I don't know. And so the kids will have to discuss whether it's true, whether it's a lie, and then she'll give them scripture. Okay, that's a true thought. You should think on that. Then she'll give another one. I'm worthless. Is that true? Are you really worthless? Some kids feel like they are worthless. Ah, she's just hit a thought that needs to be dealt with. They're thinking this thought over and over. I'm worthless. Okay, well, let's go to some scripture. Are you worthless or do you have value to God? And so she gives them scripture. Okay, so that's a thought that needs to go in the trash bin. You need to quit thinking that thought because it's not true. We need to take all of our thoughts through the process or through the filter, rather, of God's word. And we don't need to just be thinkers. We need to be doers, acting on what we have been taught, acting on the word of God as we have received it. Receive the word of God. Act on it. What we've heard, what we've seen, we need to be people of action. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the clarity that Brother Paul gave here to the church at Philippi. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow this instruction this week, that we would be people who are biblical thinkers. Lord, we will not base decisions on our emotions. We won't base our decisions on how we feel at the moment. But we will base our decisions on these things that are true, that are honest, that are lovely, that are of good report. Lord, help us to think on these things. Help us to have an accurate picture of Christ that we can filter everything else through you. Lord, help us to be people of action today, that we would walk in obedience to your word, that we would walk in obedience to the truth of your word. And Lord, that we would know true biblical mental health. And that is the realization that the God of peace abides with us. Lord, we thank you for your peace. We thank you for a God who doesn't just give us peace, but he is our peace himself. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for your peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.